Welcome to the B-Side Boys Podcast, an Iowa rugby podcast. We are here in the Wombat Den, and I got here today, Javi Sanchez. We got him back. What up, everybody? I missed you all. <laughs> yeah, we decided to, you know, conspire against Mr. Gray and form a little bit of a coop against him and got him off the show and took over the Wombat's Den and commandeered his old home. So it's ours now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We, uh, Gray had just had a baby, him and Lex did. Uh, Murphy Irene Gray was born mm -hmm. on Friday at 2.33 p.m. So congratulations to those two. Pretty exciting stuff, but yeah, yeah Kobe, he'll be, he'll Kobe, be back. Kobe's a big brother now. Yeah, Kobe's a big brother now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, got a pretty fun little show today, though. So Gray's going to be off for the week, but me and Javi, I think we got it handled pretty well. Yeah. Javi, what have you been up to lately? Well, uh, I know I've been absent. And uh, the reason being, I got I finally uh, got a new job from after being back home from college for two months. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say being an adult now, it's pretty, yeah, it's, pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. I love, I actually love how I'm on a schedule now and I'm not like sleep, going to sleep at three and then waking up at like noon or something like that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you have to say, and you also have Sundays off from work, so we'll have yep. you every Sunday now. Huh? I know. <laughs> Slowly getting back into the swing of things, so yeah. that's great. Hmm. Perfect. Well, and before I forget, we are brought to you by Rotor Epoxy. So if you are looking to get any uh, concrete flooring, your shed floors, your garage floors done, they do some beautiful design. Uh, epoxy is great, obviously, to um, maintain your concrete floors and everything. It's going to make them last a lot longer. Uh, if you do any work in a garage or shed too, it's really good for preventing like anything acidic, you know, wearing out the concrete or any other chemicals. And obviously if you look at some of their social media posts, they did do a beautiful job with all their floors, beautiful designs. I mean, they can do just about anything for you. So, you know, if you're looking to get that done, tell them B-Side Boys sent you and hit them up. But anyways, so over this past weekend, we had Capital City 7s. Javi, where were you? I was at work. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It was, it was a pretty fun little tournament. Um, it's They've been hosting it for quite a few years now. It was located here in Des Moines. Uh, unfortunately, this year we only had about five teams, mm. which is a little bit lower in the numbers. But it's kind of been like that across the board for most 7s tournaments. Um, but Wombats, we... Mm, we did okay. I mean, we went one and three, mm. which was a little disappointing. We lost to Des Moines. Uh, we lost to Iowa City. I mean, we played well, and we actually had a chance to get quite a few younger guys and guys who haven't really had any experience, some more playing time. So that's pretty big. It's, wow. You know, especially with this fall season coming up, we got to get some of these guys some more experience, especially if they're going to be on our roster. Uh, one of our guys uh, hasn't played since 2012, and he actually played pretty well. He's a bigger guy, too. So. Sevens isn't quite his game, but I think he's going to be pretty good in 15s. And then Chase also, he literally just got a chance to play last week, and he played pretty well. He made some good tackles, and I'm excited to see how he develops over the next you know few weeks and few months. Um, Iowa City, I think, got third overall, and mm -hmm. they played pretty well. Um, they always have a lot of really good guys in that team. They hung out with us after the tournament and had some beers with us and stuff. You know, it was 
pretty fun. Des Moines, um, their first side and second side got first place and second place. Mm -hmm. They <laughs> played pretty well throughout the day. They have some guy on their team only played. This is his first year playing. Mm -hmm. He's you know Luke Hermanson, right? Maybe uh, he's got like the noodle hair. I uh, no, I don't. No, that's okay. He's a uh, he's sorry. No, that's all right. He's a uh, you and I alumni, mm -hmm. and he's played with Des Moines on and off for a while. He's a tremendous athlete. He knows like the game really well. He hits hard. He runs hard. And this kid is like a spitting image of him. He's got the crazy hair. He's taller, lankier, but he's got a little bit of a build. But he is like crazy fast, like. Like, he got in the open, and he just took off. I couldn't believe it. And I was, like, talking to some of the Des Moines guys, and he's never played contact sports before, and this is his first year. He's only ran cross country. Really? Yeah. It's it's nuts. I'm really excited to see, like, how he develops um, and, you know, potentially if he would go to an even bigger club somewhere, like, and get even more experience. You know, you never know what could happen. Like, maybe making an That's crazy and just <laughs> – that's crazy for just being his like first ever year of rugby, but not only that, contact sport in general. That's he had to have some nerves going into it, did he not? I don't know. I mean, like he didn't look nervous at all. I mean, like he kind of looked a little lost here and there, but I mean, for the most part, like he balled out. Like he played well. I mean, like obviously a lot of those Des Moines guys, like Sunday and Sanderson. I mean, they did their thing. They're phenomenal athletes. They play the game really well. So. You know, they did what you expect them to do. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, Des Moines put on a really well tournament. Um, again, with the numbers, it was kind of a little disappointing. Uh, but I talked to Tisdale about that, too. And, you know, he reached out to a lot of teams and stuff. And, I don't know, just something about this summer, like maybe some other teams are just not quite as interested in competing in sevens or like Northeast Iowa and uh, Dubuque. Lots are in like farther corners of Iowa. They've been doing some other tournaments, like some stuff in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So, I mean, I totally get it. But we got one more seven series coming up here, and that's going to be the Bix uh, Sevens Tournament in mm -hmm. Quad City. Quad it's series. our last stop of the Iowa Seven Series. So, hopefully there's a good showing for that and a fun tournament. We'll see who comes out on top. But the way things are trending, it's probably going to be Des Moines. I think they got the most points so far. <laughs> we'll get them next year because you'll right. have me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Kidding. But no, hopefully I can make that. I realized I could have made uh, Capital Cities. I could have actually been and playing with you guys at Capital Cities, because I, I didn't work till like three, and then and I saw that the tournament didn't end till like maybe, maybe two forty-five. Oh, it, it I, ended I before then. Even it was like we were done at like one forty-ish because there was only five teams. So like we just did a round robin, four games. Oh, I could have definitely played and made work on time. That's disappointing. Anyway, Phil, what do you got for us? <laughs> All right. Well, um, today we're going to be interviewing uh, Jeremiah Johnson, a.k.a. JJ. Most people in Iowa know him formally as JJ. He is what we like to say a man with many caps. So he's mm -hmm. done a lot of stuff. I mean, he's been playing rugby for a really long time. You know, he's coached. He's done a lot of refereeing, like a lot of high-level refereeing. So it's going to be a pretty interesting conversation with him today. We'll get into some high school rugby, some of his experiences, what got him into rugby, all that fun stuff. And we also have uh, a really good uh, – when we will – ah, sorry. We also have a very uh, hyped-up interview from, from me anyway uh, with uh, Jake Mizell, the new assistant coach of the Army Black Knights. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we'll be uh, talking to him for Friday's episode. Yeah, that's I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, no, that'll be good. I'm excited. 
Well, and I guess we might as well get into it. So, Javi, can't believe I'm saying this after a month, but play that music. All right, we are into our interview portion of the show. With us here today, we have Jeremiah Johnson, or as most people know him by as JJ. JJ, how you doing today? Not too bad, thanks. All right, good, dude. So, obviously, most people in Iowa know who you are, but for the people that don't, you know, just give us, like, a little rundown, like, who you are, what you do. You know, real basic. <laughs> sure. Well, I started playing with Bremer County uh, in 1991. And over the years, I kind of transitioned from, uh, you know, player to coach was my first new role. Um, when we started the Warbird Women's Club, Craig Ford and I, and about the same time, I started getting into rugby administration and, uh, started off as treasurer for the Iowa Rugby Union. And then at, even at closer to the to that first starting up of Wartburg women we we're kind of stuck from referees from a referee perspective so i started getting into referee uh getting into referee and got my level one in 1998 um continued to play full-time with bremer uh until i moved to des moines um well i was down here for a couple years kind of pulled the same bremer mode where guys traveled back from Des Moines, but <laughs> yep. uh, played full-time through 2004 and then transitioned to uh, refereeing full-time. Um, then went on to uh, start getting into Midwest Rugby Union administration. Um, I was president for the Midwest Union for 16 years. Oh, wow. And uh, from there, um, you know, and over, over the course of that time, um, I also moved up into the, the B panel ranks, which um, from a refereeing perspective, we just lost Willie Craig, who was our real first B panel referee from Iowa. Um, but more recently, and a little better news is Adam Falk has just made it to territorial panel as well. Um, but during my time as Midwest uh, president, I, I then moved on to try to get involved in and involved with national rugby politics and was representing the Midwest and the USA Rugby Congress. And then in 20, let's see, 2015, yeah, 2015, then uh, I ran for and was voted on to the USA Rugby Board of Directors. Um, you know, and over the course of that, uh, it started to, to wind down that 20, 30, uh, wow, 30 year career, I guess. Yeah. Um, that kind of was my swan song, I would say. Wow. Yeah, you have a crazy resume. <laughs> I, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, you got inducted into Bremer's Hall of Fame um, with a couple other guys, right? Yep, with Scott Wickham and Rick Hall. That, yeah. was, a, that was a huge honor. You know, I got to play with Halsey and Whitcomb at the end of their career when we started to, when Bremer started to make a push and kind of reemerge. And as they retired, uh, to be pulled in and, 
and pulled into the Bremer Hall of Fame at the same time was was a huge honor. Dude, yeah, I say I I still remember that. That was that was really cool to actually like be there for that and uh, like have like a very small part in it. Um, yeah, and obviously really well deserved. And you were also mentioning too, like uh, obviously doing all the USA Rugby stuff. Didn't you uh, didn't you do some like high leveling sur- like surring too, like for uh, like Las Vegas Sevens or something like that as well? Well, uh, as far as refereeing, um, you know, when you make it to the to the territorial panel level, when you're you get a grade B panel, mm. um, you do start to get introduced into some some higher level work, um, you know, so like D1 men, D1 women, um, and do a lot of traveling for rugby. But during the course of that, when I got pulled into the Las Vegas Sevens. Um, that was more because, well, two points. Um, one, because I have the rugby, had the rugby chops, but I didn't necessarily have the fitness or the speed. So, so <laughs> these referees that are doing that are next level, like not even next level. They're two levels up. Um, but I also had uh, had having run tournaments and having administration background, getting pulled into the sideline crew. Um, kind of forgot about adding that, but pulled into the sideline crew and and my first my first year doing that for the usa sevens was the final year that it was actually in san diego so i was on the sidelines and at uh uh petco park in san diego okay and then then they moved to vegas and i was on the sidelines for that for every year it was in vegas um and then that actually parlayed that into uh got to work the sideline crew for the 2018 sevens rugby world cup in san francisco which that was a that was an amazing experience super fun would you probably say that was probably like the top of the list like one of the more fun experiences being part of like those crews or you know it it really was that was an amazing experience uh you know when you start seeing the level of athlete that is on the seven circuit. Uh, you know, you think of Fijians or mm. Kenyans, and you don't necessarily think rugby if, if you're a non-rugby person. Yeah. Um, but just as an example, when when you are on the sidelines in between two teams like that, they are absolute giants. <laughs> yeah. It's They're a, huge, huge people. It's a weird trend, like, with a lot of those, uh, like, high-level, like, rugby players, like, for sevens like how crazy like big and tall they are like they never look like that big like when you're like watching like the streaming or like on tv but like they are super tall they really really are uh, just kind of related to that when we had the when we hosted the 2015 sevens national championships here in des moines uh, i had to go present to the to the parks and rec board and and to, to win the bid to have us uh, get access to a uh, soccer state, Frank County soccer complex, long story, but make it short when the parks and rec folk went out to check in on the, the fields as the team started to arrive, they came back uh, and we were in a, we had a, we had a weekly bi-weekly meeting to make sure we were getting everything taken care of from a community standpoint and rugby standpoint. But those park officials came back and, and they walked in and they're like, 
these athletes are giants. And we're only <laughs> talking like, you know, like USA rugby, like the 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 D one or the, the men's and women's top clubs and they were nothing compared to the internationals. Mm-hmm. But just to see the level of how impressed these people had been, I mean it was it was pretty pretty fun experience. Hmm. That was back in 2015. Ah, is that right? Seems right. It's quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah, that's I have to go find a find a t-shirt and then I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, say so yeah, I I'm not like I can't quite remember I feel like I remember like hearing about it, but like I don't really remember a whole lot of like details. But like it sounds like, you know, setting everything up, you know, there's just a lot of uh there's a lot of work to go through in order to make it happen. Yeah, getting all those logistics in place from making sure the teams are taken care of. Mm. We partnered with the National Guard to get a bunch of tents set up for everyone because they're doing it at the end of July and it's super hot. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things that you don't really think about when you're traveling, when you're playing and traveling as a team yourself, you know, you're usually thinking, well, you know, we'll just hang out under a tree and get the, the chair set up and not really worry about it. But taking care of the athletes from a tournament perspective, um, that was, that was a good introduction and really, where rugby needs to go to, as far as taking care of their athletes, yeah, being being a little bit more professional and not not just a get out of that club mindset. Mm. Man, do you think that's something that we could potentially host again in the near future, like here, like in the Des Moines metro area? Or yeah, I think that really depends on on USA Rugby and uh, the city of Des Moines was pumped. I mean, they they would follow up with me uh, and still, I think they followed up with me for years trying to get, get that event to come back. You know, and it's always, um, there's always a bid process and cities definitely want to, to bring in those teams and, and get their name out there. But, you know, when, when we first made the bid, uh, I worked with Chris Draper on it oh, and yeah. he was trying to, uh, yeah, great great, great resource, but really tried to change the dynamics of that bid process and wanted to put in a package where we could turn it into a revenue event for USA Rugby. And if we could have had it for four year cycle, for example, Mm -hmm. so for one full Olympic cycle, um, you know, we we, we had the numbers and presented them back to USA Rugby and said, you know, if, if we can have this in and go out to investors and say, look, you get it for this next Olympic cycle. We could have put tens, tens, up to hundreds of thousands back into the tournament and maybe provided flights for teams or taking care of hotel rooms. Um, But with USA rugby being so vast and expansive, it's it's continent, um, there would definitely be teams that would be disadvantaged with traveling to Des Moines. Yeah. So I guess kind of, you know, flights aren't exactly the easiest thing to do for Des Moines, but um, that was probably one of the biggest regrets I've had in my career is not being able to pull that off. But uh, the event itself was was great. And I think um, all the teams with the feedback that, that was given, if it weren't for the travel problems, I think the the facilities and the, the location itself um, – 
I think it, it came across very well. And I think we'd be able to get something like that back again. Des Moines Rugby Club was really great for support. Um, you know, I, I haven't really been too involved with that club, but I need to call them out. They, they provided loads and loads of volunteers. So that was great as well. But yeah, to answer your question, uh, I think Des Moines could pull that off again. Nice. Yeah. And no, I mean, like, it'd be really cool to do it again or like, you know, kind of, you know, get your, get to your vision, your original vision. Cause like, you know, it'd be really cool to have like, you know, the Moy Metro, you know, really on the map for rugby, like a, me and Grape talked about all the time, have it be like a hotbed for rugby, you know, and like just getting that much more recognition for the area would be really cool. It'd be really cool to see. And, you know, I think in due time it could happen again. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the folks that you need to work with is an organization called Catch Des Moines. Catch Des Moines. And Catch Des Moines. Yep. And working with them, um, you know, they, they do a lot of work to pull in uh, national championships and, and events like that, you know, with the, with the Ironman that just went off. I mean, that was a, that was a, I, I think that was a, the national championship that went on along with the amateur event that went with it. Was that, that so, was just pretty recently, wasn't it? It was yeah, very recently. Yeah. Like yeah. two weeks ago or something like that. Was yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So Des Moines always trying to get their, their, get their nose out there and get some, get events like that to come back in and rugby um, as it's hopefully turning from a fringe sport. I really think that they they really liked how it went um, and would be very interested in going through it again. Nice. Yeah, I mean, like, and plus two, uh, Des Moines got that new, like, soccer complex deal that's going up pretty soon. Like, they've been doing construction on it. It's, like, right off of, like, MLK. Have you seen that? Or Yeah, yep. Yeah, I feel like that'd be a pretty cool little spot for it because I think they originally wanted it for, like, maybe something to do with, like, Major League Soccer at some point, like, get some teams here for something like that. But I mean, like you could very easily do some really high level rugby stuff there as well. Yep. It's just getting past the stigma of is rugby going to tear up the pitch mm-hmm. and, you know, going through that process, uh, I, something I didn't know, but the, the field crew for the I Cubs yeah. actually maintain the fields for Frank County soccer complex. Mm. And, you know, getting them out there, um, so it's the park officials that usually think, well, you got rugby, you're just going to tear it up. But the when you start talking to the grounds crew, those guys were top-notch. I mean, you couldn't even tell that there had been uh, rugby played on those those pitches, even the, the marquee pitch that we used for the championship. Like, it's it was awesome. So you just got to get the right people in the room, get the realists versus just the – folks that are scared to pull the trigger on something yeah like the constant stigma it's kind of like it's kind of similar with like like how a lot of high school like coaches don't always like kids playing high school rugby because they're always afraid they're gonna like get hurt and stuff like that even though like for like football and stuff like that you know it makes you a better football player it teaches you how to tackle correctly and position your body correctly you know like it kind of feels like that type of stigma to me yeah it is really which Speaking of high school stuff, you, because you've obviously coached and stuff, and you used to coach uh, Southeast Warren, right? Yeah, I actually started at East, coached at East for a year, and then 
one of the kids that, that played for me at East, his cousin, uh, went to school at Southeast Warren and was trying to get a team down there. And we didn't have anybody. Like, Southeast Warren is out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. We didn't have anybody that could coach. And so I I made a deal with Clint Gadbury that he would take over head coach at East. And I went to Southeast Warren, and that was a that was a pretty good run. Huh. Do you uh, yeah? Because I actually work with a guy um who you used to coach, and he actually talks about you a lot. He speaks very highly of you. Uh, do you remember uh, Caleb Maroy? Oh yeah, I know Caleb very well. Yep, he uh, he went and played for uh, Brent Nelson at Iowa Central for a season, actually. Yeah, I think he was on. Well, I mean, like, because Iowa Central's won a couple of championships and stuff. He was on one of the championship teams. I just don't remember what division it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Caleb would start showing up to practice um, as a seventh and eighth grader, just a little kid. He knew about rugby and he wanted, couldn't wait until he could start practicing. And, you know, Southeast Warren is such a small, small, um, you know the the count the head count for the the class determination was I think they use ninth tenth and eleventh grades to determine the head count that will drive you to the class you play in. Southeast Warren I think uh, was maybe a hundred and thirty kids oh, wow. for those three grades. That is um, really small. <laughs> yeah, but when Caleb started showing up, you know, trying to run through our heads like how could how could we set up a, a youth program down here. And just from a logistics standpoint, like I, I kind of that that was a big failure because I couldn't do anything because I when when I would leave work from downtown Des Moines, it was it was like 84 miles round trip <laughs> to go to Southeast Warren to practice and then get back to my driveway at home. Um, so your time away was a huge commitment already. And I was trying to think of ways that we could open it up for you know, youth kids to come be a part of the high school practice with, you know, obviously with no contact and teach them through them some of the basics. Um, but the time commitment was so huge. And unfortunately, Caleb was, you know, kind of a diamond in the rough there and that there weren't a whole lot of kids that were that interested in rugby. And so he just waited, bided his time. As soon as he's in ninth grade, he's calling immediately once first practice. Wow. Man. Yeah. Great, great kid. Great player. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out ways to get him. Cause like, like I mentioned, like I work with him and we, we work, we, we spend about 50 hours a week with each other. And I've been trying to think of like ways I can like talk him into playing with us. Uh, but he lives in like, uh, was it Milo? Is that right? Yeah. So it's yep, like, it's probably, pretty far away. Yep. yep. But I don't know. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, you know, thinking back through all the kids that, you know, that played, played for you as a high school coach and how many of them are still playing. You know, the very first kid that contacted me, Addison Spears, went away to the Army, played in the Army a little bit, came back, uh, played with Cedar Rapids, and then went to UNI and is playing for UNI now. Yeah. Um, he's still actively playing. Um, Jesse Cortez was on my first team at East and is still playing with Des Moines. Yeah. Um, you know, but outside of that, it's the retention from from high school to the senior club. 
that's a really tough transition and the 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 loss rate is huge yeah i would i mean i wish kind of wish gray was on this one but like it'd be cool to kind of get like a numbers like you know what is the percentage of guys that like continue to play on um and it's funny that you mentioned addison spear though because like yeah he went to you and i and stuff and they played against him at cedar rapids and you know big you and i guy and stuff it's really cool to see him there and he actually played with us a little bit at block party as well but for some reason every time he plays with me he always manages to hurt me somehow i don't know, i don't know how he does it but he always manages to hurt me uh addison's a special kid though uh, he he uh his love for the game he's the whole reason southeast warren got started i mean we we had a little we had a good run in that southeast warren as a as a as a high school itself had not had a team state team championship and we pulled it off the first year that we had that we had a uh, had a team and boy did that that kind of raised some i don't know that caused some problems with coaches for one because uh, the athletic director um at the time was awesome he was so supportive yeah uh, they put our state championship trophy in the in the trophy case for the for the team for for rugby but put it in for the school trophy case that's cool i mean that's really? awesome that's that's huge if they you know the at or whatever or ad is gonna you know show you guys love and support yeah i mean it was it was great and then it started pissing off the other coaches you know yeah. you don't have them your athletes aren't sticking to academic and and um, good behavior standards mm. and so it, over the course of the next year um, we had another successful season. We wound up making it to state finals and losing. But as soon as that state final loss um, was over, they brought me down to present to the school board, and the school board voted to make rugby a varsity sport at Southeast Warren. Really? Which, which was good and bad. I mean, it was it was awesome. It was the first first team that was actually named a varsity sport for rugby you know in a public school and but that came with a lot of you know you you then um your your athletes then had to fall follow you know academic standards and good behavior standards as we mentioned yeah and if you had anybody and again with the small pool that we were pulling from if anybody fell behind the grades and I got, you know, weekly grade reports, I became a certified Iowa high school coach so I could be involved, but I wasn't a teacher. So I had to have an advisor that would tell me that you've got a couple students that are getting to the point where they're not going to be able to play. And we actually managed, we actually got to that point a couple times and that made it super difficult where being a coach, being the head coach, unpaid, by the way, but yeah. uh, being the head coach and not having the ability to to know when when students were struggling was a huge handcuff. Yeah, and just just led to you know there were there were times we would play both of the high school matches on a on a regular night. We would only have six players, and we played in we'd play six on seven for the whole night with no subs. Damn. Yeah, I've been there a so, time or two for men's clubs. Yeah. <laughs> that's so rough. Man. No, it's, that's kind of an interesting take, though, because, like, it always seems like the goal is to, like, 
you know, be a varsity program. But then I guess, you know, there is that random red tape, you know, and like, especially if you have a small player pool you're working with, you know, like it could almost be detrimental to your, you know, progress in a sense. Yeah, it's definitely a caveat and tour. Like, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because it did, it did cause some hardship. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, and I can't believe they didn't get paid either for that. That's, hmm. Because usually. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that was never the expectation. Well, yeah. And if, if I had gotten any kind of money, it would, I would have put it back into buying the equipment that I was already buying. Mm. Um, and, and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's such a small community and every budget line item is at risk every year. And it, I, I can only imagine the grind, which that'd be great to have gray on here for that because those small schools, the, the grind of making the ends meet. Yeah. Just be, would just be a, just a horrible exercise year in and year out if not week to week yeah just listening to gray talk about some of that stuff like god it just kind of sounds like a nightmare having to deal with some of that and then like obviously with you know you see it a lot in like the metro area and stuff like that like just constant budget cuts and stuff like that it's just like it's got to be hard it's got to be really hard yep and it, you can't take it out on the kids or you can't put it on their backs to to cover the costs um yeah. it's the really hard hard thing because as soon as you start increasing the dues, and this is the forever debate with, with youth sports, you know, there's one side of the argument that would say, well, youth sports is a billion dollar industry and, you know, parents are paying money hand over fist to get their kids involved in sports. But those are parents that are living the pipe dream that they're creating a D1 collegiate full ride athlete, you know, playing baseball nine months out of the year versus a fringe sport where you know if anybody that, that plays it gets hooked on it yeah and you usually um have somebody that once they're involved in rugby they just that's all they think about but to convince a parent that they gotta change their budget to cover the cost of a rugby program is that's a losing battle yeah that i can't imagine like that's gotta be really difficult and like because and like with coaching and stuff like that too, and like potentially starting up a team, like there's always like a lot of those questions. Cause like Gray likes to give me crap about, you know, doing like North Hoover or something like that. And it's just like, that's one of my thoughts is always like, how do you, you know, really pump money into your team when it's, you know, it's not a varsity program, you know, it's essentially a club. And it's like, in some of these areas, you know, it's, you know, lower income, you know, areas of the Metro and stuff. And it's like some of these, you know, kids, their families don't have like really any money to be like pumping into like sports for them, you know? So it's like, how do you go around that? Yeah, it's tough. And, um, I, I don't have a good answer other than to say when, when you're getting these kids involved and if you don't have some sort of a, I shouldn't say slush fund when you're involved in <laughs> yeah. involving youth, but, if you don't have some sort of a backup plan for those kids that can't afford it, um, then you're going to start losing it. And, and honestly, the Iowa youth rugby association really did start to create, um, 
create that that alternative solution with some scholarships. So, you know, the with the amount of money that they're bringing in, there wasn't excess really, but any excess that we had, we were we were at least at the time pushing it towards those kids that couldn't afford to pay their dues. Yeah. So you just have to have coaches, but it really is it's it's economy of scale. You know, the the more the more participants you get, the more flexibility you have to deal with these tough situations. And, you know, but then you have the, the tipping point where if you get too big, which I think the boys league did for a little while, too big where you start running out of coaches and you start running out of referees. And then as the skill levels are getting better and the expectations for the coaches to be better and the referees to be better, then you're at a tipping point where that thing could implode. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, ha, I wish I knew uh, the secret sauce to it, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a fine line. It yeah. really is. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's tough. Uh, I mean like, but it's a very realistic perspective though. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, I just, yeah, it's definitely something I never would have really considered, you know, like almost growing too big too fast. It's and like we ran into like well, like, you know, obviously when we were getting like Iowa rugby was getting real big and the teams were really building up and then also we had COVID and we had some teams drop off. That was a little rough for the Iowa League, if you didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I feel like we're starting to see a little bit of a resurgence in like a few more teams and I think it'd be really cool to see Southeast Warren come back. Yeah, uh, you know, at the end we kind of kind of merged with Melcher Dallas because they have a sports sharing program for a couple sports. I think wrestling is one, and oh, what's the other one? Maybe track. But um, so the youth rugby allowed it, and that gave you access to an additional, you know, less than a hundred students. But it would be those small schools. Uh, are pretty important in giving those kids some sort of an outlet. Um, I don't know. It's, it was definitely community service. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Getting them, getting them that, that opportunity again. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely a really good outlet and like an alternative to obviously like what would be considered more mainstream sports. Like we never in Northeast Iowa, like had that opportunity. Like when I was in school, like it's really cool to see like, Cresco's got a team and like it'd be really cool to see like Decorah and maybe some of those other schools that like were kind of my area to start popping up um get you coaching yeah get me yeah and then I got <laughs> yeah I, I still got to consider getting into coaching would you have any like suggestions for me because like there's always somebody's got a little like tidbit like advice that we talk to whenever coaching gets brought up for me would you have any advice for me on like what I could you know like you know, do to kind of get a club started? Sure. I, I, I think I have two paths of advice. Um, so one, as far as uh, coaching and getting a club started, um, I would definitely try to help out another program first and just go through and start getting the understanding of like the practice commitment and you know, the, the techniques that you're trying to get out, out there. Um, 
if you don't have like actual coaching experience, having a planned out practice is key. You know, like playing for Bremer, like you and I know with practice when you show up, like what Casey would come back with coaching things from all of his travels. But before that, you basically just had the, the most talkative guys running practice each time without a real plan. Mm-hmm. And unless you get a plan in place, your your coaching is going to spiral and the kids are going to see that. Um, but beyond that, I mean, like getting becoming a certified coach is one thing. That teaches you the the basics of, you know, how to recognize when when a kid's in trouble. Yeah. You know, whether it's socially or, or injured. Um, that helps with that. But getting involved and as much as I um I know that there are skeptics, but um go to go to the, the coaching clinics that US Aerobie offers or like even with like Kelsey go help her out at, at uh, Iowa state for a few, few weeks and see how she runs her practices mm-hmm. or, you know, try to try to figure out, I mean, high school is a whole lot, it's a whole different animal than coaching college and definitely different than, than coaching seniors. But, um, cope Brent, Brent Wheeler would be a huge resource. And I think he's, he's been more than open to help other programs. So there are successful coaches out there. I mean, Wickham, Eric Wickham and Casey Hansen, what they're doing at Waverly is phenomenal. And, you know, with Eric being the head coach for the wrestling team, you know, you've got, that gives you a little more gravitas, I guess I would say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Definitely a little more pull. That's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, and just see how other programs are doing. And most, you know, these coaches, um, nobody is going to feel like they're giving you the the secrets to their program. They want to see other people succeed because by and large, they want to see the whole league succeed. No, that I've honestly, like, I don't know why, like, it seems like such a simple thing to do, but I don't know why I've never thought of that, but like, yeah, just going and hanging out with some other coaches and yeah, successful coaches and just kind of see how they run things and, Maybe yeah, take like like you said, they want to see the league keep growing and get better and do well as a whole. And yeah, like I said, not really giving away any secrets, but like just you know how they operate and what they do to make a successful you know club that makes a lot of sense. And I feel kind of stupid for not thinking of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a learning process. Like the one of the first years, I don't know if you see me on the sidelines, but I'm usually a referee's worst enemy. Um, <laughs> uh, but we, Southeast Warren, I mean, we, we were pretty technically sound. And I, I guess I have two stories. Um, the first one was like, well, our very first year, I mean, we would work on rucking for a sevens program, which seems kind of stupid, but in, but we would secure a ball and we'd try to set our platform from there and, and go and go quickly. But, we constantly be running into these teams that wouldn't, they just didn't have anything, any idea of offside lines and the, mm. at the breakdown. And the referees were usually college kids that weren't certified yet and didn't recognize offsides. Yeah. So I'd be losing my mind. I'd be talking on the coaches <laughs> meetings. So I'm like, 
Draper, who Chris Draper was coach of Van Meter, I'm like, what, what the hell you got going on at Van Meter? Your kids don't even understand the breakdown. And Chris was, he was an international referee. He refereed on the seven series. He played yeah. at Cal. Um, he just looked at me and he's like, you know what? We've never practiced a ruck. <laughs> <laughs> all they all they focused on was just getting the ball out. So they didn't. They never talked and worked on the offside line. Huh. And until you've got a uh, a referee out there that can manage that and you know ensure everybody's playing by the same set of laws, it it was tough. And we kind of that was one of our growing pains from a from a league perspective is getting referees that had that knowledge and can do it. Well, wasn't it during that time? Cause like, I remember when it was mostly like college guys that would serve these matches and stuff, but like that was around the time where like, we didn't even kick for extra points either. Like there wasn't really kicking yeah. yet. Yeah. That was, that was really, really new. And the thought behind it that I disagreed with at first was that because we were going to be streaming these matches, we didn't want, we didn't want to embarrass the kids because they couldn't uh, drop kick for a conversion. Hmm. That was that was the the reason behind that, which went away quickly, yeah. thankfully. <laughs> yeah. But the other one was lineouts because we we didn't want lifting yet. And this one, I I, I actually tended to agree with for the the most part because we didn't have access to coaches that were going to teach proper lifting techniques. Mm could be dangerous and you know the, the very last thing you want to do on a on an upstart league is wind up with a bunch of ambulances showing up every week yeah that does make a lot of sense the kicking one is a little surprising to me but um the lineouts that does make some sense but like if you watch like some of the uh like at state this like past year god the kids are really good at kicking now yeah, they're really good at kicking, and they're excellent. Some of those teams are excellent at lineouts. Like it's yeah. crazy. Dude, yeah. So the transition, give them a chance, and they'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like in the transition too. From, I think we'll see a pretty good transition from sevens to fifteens here pretty soon. Like, do you see some of the stuff that's going on with like select side and stuff like that? Yep. Yeah, they're they're doing a doing a pretty good job. I mean, like those guys have just had like, eh, like. Not really a whole lot of 15s practice, but like they're playing pretty well for, you know, just doing, you know, a few practices and playing only in like one 15s match. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. Um, you want to talk about like Addison or Caleb um, from Southeast Warren. When, when we didn't have a 15s program for select sides or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, the kids and the players would always just be chirping on their own talking about 15s and it's the gold standard and it was almost like some some mythical creature like <laughs> what you've played a 15s match oh tell me about it <laughs> and it was just funny but to make that that transition next it, you know all the naysayers on the league were like well you're developing players that only know sevens and that's not really rugby um we had i mean we actually had to fight that on with some coaches on on programs and and they would have be lobbying all these negative comments towards the league about they don't know what they're doing and when they show up it's just like they're a brand new player if they're going to play at the next level but honestly if you're doing it right the ruck's still a ruck yeah the mall's still a mall scrum's a little bit different but lineup kicking 
and, and rugby is all about creating space really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you get those kids with a little bit of experience under their belt. I think we've seen quite a few kids that are starting to transition, transition to 15s, um, at the, the men's and women's level that really are, are starting to pay dividends. I mean, Rachel Ericke was uh, one of our first girls players, and she's an eagle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> the amount of, uh, like, girls and, like, even some, like, boys or, like, men's guys uh, that are playing, like, U23 stuff right now. There's quite a few of them now coming out of Iowa, which is pretty crazy. And, like, I'll admit that, like, the whole – uh, sevens to fifteens, um, you know, like, like how it transfers over. Like, I wasn't really a big believer in it at first because, like, when I was at U and I, we would get guys who had sevens experience and we'd be like, oh, sweet, you know, and like they would never pan out. There was only like maybe like a, you know, like one or two guys that would like actually pay dividends because you know they had sevens experience. But like, we'd get some guys where like they had sevens experience or like they played in high school and they just didn't, like I said, just didn't pan out. So I'm like, ah whatever we need guys that like play football or wrestled, you know, or whatnot. But now it's like, you see a lot of these kids, once they get to these 15s programs and they're just balling out of control. Like obviously like you and I has got like a ton of like really young guys. And I think like 11 of those starters all played sevens and they're all great 15s players. So I think we're starting to see that transition, you know? Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Like, and and I, I believe it 100%. When you're coaching, you should be coaching a rugby player that that should be able to slip on a 15s jersey with whatever number and slide into that position. Now, genetics are going to have some impact there. Like, sorry, Phil, you're never going to lock. Um, <laughs> I, or, I, <laughs> you know, but but if you're teaching and coaching and 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 trying to create a rugby player rather than just a, a sevens player, they'll translate really well. Yeah. And I think that's, I think some of these programs are really, really picking up on that. Oh yeah. I mean, like, I think a lot of the coaches uh, in Iowa are doing a fantastic job with all their guys, like, and like the competition, you can just tell it's, it's getting better and better every year. It's really exciting to yeah. see. But you know, I, I was going to give you a couple examples, and the one that I hadn't gotten to, um, when I was on the USA Rugby Congress, I had access to a lot of people, a lot of coaches, um, and and even some national team coaches. I could I could send them film and say, hey, what's going on here? What am I doing wrong? And I, I wound up, there was a match that I was thinking about specifically when Southeast Warren was playing, and this was during Caleb's days, when we went and played at I-35 Truro, um, which was a big deal for them because it was the first time they were going to host at that stadium. But this was a, a team where I had eight guys I could play, and I can't remember who we were playing. Might have been, might have been I-35 or, or maybe Winterset, but we we had the ball and we were just moving, you know, and, and winning a ruck, passing it out, setting a ruck, winning a ruck. Like we were moving down the field a little bit at a time. And then all of a sudden, you know, fundamentally we, we looked great. 
and then all of a sudden the other team would just get the ball and go the opposite direction and score. And we just got yeah. crushed. And I sent I sent the game film to a couple of collegiate coaches, like D one programs, and they're looking at it and they came back and they're like, you know, fundamentally, uh, your guys they were doing everything they were supposed to do. They just looked good um, and it was sound. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just get out athleted, hmm. and <laughs> and you know that's that's a hard thing to. Yeah to deal with as a coach but yeah. i mean it's it's true you're just there are those times where you may be the but the better fundamental team but you just can't beat those athletes the real athletes yeah and we i'm oh, yeah. sorry go ahead i just was like gonna make a comment because like especially sevens it's like you know you got like one or two dudes that are just faster than everybody else i mean you know the opposing team can have all the fundamental and game plan stuff they really want but at the end of the day those guys that are faster are just gonna outrun everybody else and score <laughs> yeah uh, and honestly like some of the weirdly guys this year they they may not have been burners but they were just athletes and even in the state finals they the, the breakaway try at the end and i think the two tries prior to that it was just one or two kids that willed themselves through and and went 80 meters and wound up getting Waverly across the line. I mean, that was a great match, but again, when you're dealing with another level of athlete, I mean, it's just like what you can think of like with Perry Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Not a big guy. Um, Probably not the most fundamentally sound, but super fast and just fluid and, put him on a field like when he had his try in Las Vegas against Fiji you could you sometimes you see it as one of the best tries in world rugby where USA is pinned down on their own goal line ball kind of squeaks out to to Baker and he sidesteps like three Fijians and then as soon as he sees open space nobody touches him like he's just Mm -hmm. gone and there's there's no amount of coaching that's going to beat that exactly like, yeah, there's just really nothing, yeah, you could really say or do to really help with that. Man. But, I, you know, I really appreciated talking about high school stuff. I had, coming into this, I, I had kind of no idea where this <laughs> conversation was going to go um, because, you know, I, I feel like I I obviously talk too much, but I can talk on a lot of top, topics. Oh, no, um, I, I love that. Like, I feel like we could probably talk for hours. We just don't have yeah. ours <laughs> no 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 i get it and uh they're from the casey hansen podcast yeah um so gray made a comment at one point and i i really wanted to touch on that because he said the key to being having a successful men's club today is to have a high school program and i you know i i originally when i first got involved in coaching i kind of agreed with that a bit but I think that's some flawed logic. Hmm. Um, and it might take me just a sec to get there, but the reason <laughs> no for that is if, if you have, if you're operating a program with a specific goal to support another program, then the focus shifts away from that high school team. Hmm. Your focus isn't ultimately the high school program it's really to be a feeder club for your, for your men's club. And if you if you lose focus and you're not a hundred percent in support of and 
have that high school club for the existence to support itself, it comes across into the athletes and it comes across in the program. And it, it may not be that detrimental. You might have a, some success with it. But until you're starting, to, until your focus is making these kids and these athletes into rugby players and, you know, if there's success at that high school on that team's level, that's one thing. But finding a way to have them experienced as a rugby player and understanding um, what it takes to get it done, then you're going to have that organic growth and that organic movement from Hmm. high school to college, possibly, or high school to men's club and and retain those players. But it's, it's a really fine line to try to introduce them to the idea of a men's or a women's program mm-hmm. because that confuses the parents and it confuses the kids. And I don't mean to come across as preachy, but <laughs> no, <you're good. laughs> I mean, it, I, I've, I've seen a lot, done a lot. And I, I definitely think that unless the motivation is for the program itself, the program becomes secondary. Hmm. That would make a lot of sense. That's, yeah, that's a really good take. <laughs> Wow. It's not a popular one. I'll, I'll tell you that, but um, I, I just knowing and where I've seen success in programs. Yes. Yeah. It's just something to keep, to keep in the back of your head as you're trying to set and hopefully create new successful programs. Yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting. I, I like that though. That's, and like, like you said, I mean, that's what it should be primarily is like, you know, that energy and stuff, whatever should be towards that program, not necessarily feeding into another club or whatnot, you know, like, I mean, like I do agree with in a sense that, you know, having a high school club can be, you know, can create a successful, um, or it could create a successful, you know, senior side, you know, but I do get what you're saying though, for sure. Um, about obviously, you know, putting, you know, the, the, what energy you're supposed to be putting into, that high school team or whatever and stuff, you know, keeping it kind of separated. That makes a lot of sense. But Hey, also (laughs) before I uh, lose you, JJ, I got actually uh, a really random question for you. I'm ready. (laughs) Do you, uh, during Irish Fest, do you remember giving me a yellow card against like Iowa Falls? Ooh, wow. (laughs) I don't, but I think so, as some people would uh, would attest to, I've given out so many cards. That <laughs> it's probably hard to – I can remember some specific ones, but no, what was it about? Dude, yeah, it was – I, like, made basically, like – you warned me, like, twice about high tackles, which seemed yeah, – that's something I've done a time or two in the past or whatever. <laughs> I, like – I'll never forget it because it was, like, the first and only yellow card I've ever gotten. Was from you. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, like, that makes me feel special, right? I know, and like I didn't know you super well at the time because, like, I remember you like helped us out like with our national run and stuff like that. And then I'm just like, when you gave that to me, I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> but <laughs> I definitely deserved it. So, yeah, that's funny, and that that actually, like, I could talk for hours on refereeing, but that's a hard part, like separating yourself from from your own club. Oh yeah, and that's part of the growth as, as a referee, like, um, 
for you to get to a point where you can be a successful referee and then also referee your own club, that's a super hard transition. And like when you're trying to go through the, the, the paths to get promoted, I guess. Yeah. That is right out in front of everybody. And the assigners are doing everything they can to not have you referee your own club. And I will say once I made B panel um, and that first time that I was assigned to, to Bremer when they were um, on their playoff run in D2. So there were a few years they were up in D2 and yeah. I'm glad to see them going back, but that was a personal victory for me. And like, well, this is awesome. Now they've seen that, that you can referee without favoritism, I guess. Without, yeah saying that out loud but well i mean yeah, i'm sure it wasn't personal <laughs> no i know that was just i always just thought that was really funny but that is pretty important to be able to yeah, separate yourself from like you know your club if you're a referee because i mean like you got like eddie who serves a lot of matches and he's had to serve some des moines matches and he's a des moines guy you know and i think he i mean i've watched him serve quite a few times and i think he does a pretty good job separating you know from his own club um and I mean, I guess I've never seen Sherman. So Sherman, Jared Sherman plays with Bremer and he's been serving lately too. Like, which is really cool to see some like younger guys get involved in serving. Cause I feel like that's, I feel like the numbers on that have been kind of a struggle for those guys, you know? So yep. it's, it's kind of cool to see some like younger guys starting to get into that. Yeah. It's funny. Like you're not going to make it um, as a higher level referee unless you're fit and can like, like well, I'm always telling younger referees when they when they start out, or or newer referees, whether they're younger or not, that your goal should always be as a referee to be the first person at every breakdown. Mm -hmm. And if you don't start refereeing until you're 55 and all broken and battered, <laughs> you're just I mean you're gonna you're just gonna be doing B side matches and in super slow matches, or you're gonna be putting people in jeopardy because there's going to be fights breaking out because of a, the way a tackle went or a breakdown mm. occurred. Oh yeah. Especially yeah, if you're late to that breakdown. For sure. That's a great point. Young referees is a great, great point. Yeah. It's, and I mean like we have some guys that are certified on our team and stuff like that. I probably should get certified. It's just, it's one of those things where I'm just like, eh, I don't know if I'd really want to serve any matches. Like it, <laughs> that, that's a hard thing to do. Me and Adam Falk were talking about that on Saturday, you know, like, I don't want people like bitching at me about like calls and stuff like that. Cause like I'll potentially lose my temper too. And like, you kind of have to keep your composure and yeah, it's, it's challenging, but I definitely like seeing though, that we have some younger guys that are getting involved in it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you watched the Eagles versus Chile this weekend, but uh, I watched some clips. Yeah. There, you know, we have a, our hammer shice, the, the number seven is an absolute hammer. <laughs> um, but he is horrible for a referee. And having a referee that can deal with that, like Luke Pierce did, was pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. He's, I mean, it, his, I would say his behavior is pretty embarrassing on the pitch. Yeah. And having to, having to deal with that as a young referee is really hard especially if it's a player that you know and that you may look up to. Um, yeah. 
maybe that's another podcast, but <laughs> yeah. there's all kinds of referee garbage that I could talk for hours on. And yeah, I've, there's obviously with all your experiences and everything like that, I feel like there's so many things we can talk about and there's going to definitely be a lot of material and we're definitely going to have to have you back at some point here. And like I said, like preferably like in person, cause like you're in Des Moines, right? Yeah. I am. Yep. Yeah. We'll have to get you over to the Wombats den and Gray will be available to chit chat as well. So that could be a pretty fun conversation. Yeah. I, whenever. Just let me know. I'm always willing to talk. <laughs> no, we like that. But yeah, no, thanks again, JJ, for coming on. I um, figured we'd probably wrap this up. Um, but yeah, it's just really appreciate, you know, you sharing some experiences with us and some, you know, like advice and tidbits and stuff, you know, like we always like getting this type of information from everybody and like getting different takes on things. It's really cool. And yeah, like I said, we'll definitely have you back on soon. Well, thanks for having me. This was actually really fun. Yeah, I, I really appreciated it. Nice, dude. Well, you take her easy and yeah, we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. All right, and that was Jeremiah Johnson, a.k.a. JJ. Really great guy. Tons of uh, rugby knowledge and experience. You know, been involved in the league for over 30 years. Um, definitely going to have to have him back again sometime so we can talk a little bit more. Uh, transitioning into some, uh, you know, high-level rugby stuff here. We, uh, Sunday, we had U23 and U20 USA women's teams playing in Canada over at Ottawa. And we actually had some pretty good representation from the Midwest. There was about seven girls that were playing on the Midwest Thunderbirds that got selected for the USA Eagles U23 team, which is about a third of their roster, which That's is pretty crazy. wild. And we have a couple of uh, gals that are actually fairly local. We had uh, Danny Shepard from Des Moines women's team who was representing the U23 team. She was going to be playing flanker. And then we had Aubrey Burrish from UNI who um, – is what she was wearing number 23 i think yeah so she was one of the subs for that uh got the chance to watch the match uh some things didn't quite go the way that you know u23 women's team wanted it to go there was you know a couple of mess ups there was just some stuff that you know ottawa capitalized on a couple of mistakes i mean the women's team looked really good they were coming up hard they were hitting hard they were running good lines uh one thing that was kind of really hurting them was every time they tried to kind of kick it was getting blocked constantly and, you know, putting them in bad field position. They just were having a hard time setting up a little bit of a wall for them to get those kicks off. But when they did get the kicks off, good position, like field positioning, they were deep kicks. I mean, otherwise that stuff looked good. Uh, Aubrey actually had her first try in the USA women's <laughs> Eagles jersey near the uh, 70th minute during that match, which was pretty awesome to see. I actually saw uh, – Megan Flanagan, I posted a video, you can just hear her cheering in the background, which has got to be exciting for her while she's coaching, uh, or she's been coaching her over at UNI. And there was a couple gals, actually, that were on the U20 team as well that were from UNI. So, you know, we got some stuff cooking here in Iowa. Megan's doing a good job over there at UNI. I mean, Kelsey McDowell's always doing well. And I would say, like, women's rugby is looking real good here in Iowa. And if you want to catch a match, so like they're going to have a, they have a live stream on Sunday for both of them, but they're going to be actually having um, a couple other matches. They're going to be playing the GGs uh, Tuesday at, I want to say four 30, if that sounds right. 
I believe. So yeah, no, it's going to be at 4.30, so that's going to be 3.30 here. So they'll be playing the, yeah, the U20 will be playing, playing the GGs at 6.30, which would be 5.30 p.m. here. And then the Queens Gales will be playing the U23 at 3.30 p.m. So you're going to have to, you know, get on uh, Ottawa's YouTube and check out their match. I'm sure they'll probably have it, like, still, like, playing, or at least you can, like, rewatch it if you want to go out and check it out. All right. And also, way off topic, but Alumni Weekend. You and I Alumni Weekend's coming up. So all my buddies that are listening to this podcast that are you and I alumni, <laughs> I better see you this weekend because, yeah, I haven't seen some of you guys in about a year or so. Get to you and I Alumni Weekend in Cedar Falls so we can have some fun and hang out with the young boys and show them the ropes, you know. Go Cats. Does Iowa Central have an alumni deal? Mm-hmm. No. Man, I feel like every college should have some form of like alumni, like board or whatever, you know, no. just give those old boys a chance to like come back and hang out with the college kids. Right. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Like I know Iowa State does it. I'm not 100% sure when they're having theirs. I should probably get a hold of Amp Frying and see when they're doing theirs. And I know Iowa does theirs as well, but I don't think they do theirs in the summer. I want to mm. say they do theirs during like, I always want to say they do it like in season. For some reason, something like that. But you got to get on Nelson, tell him to start doing an alumni deal, so you can go and visit and <laughs> hang out with the guys. I probably, all, I probably will go hang out with the guys regardless, because uh, he, uh, Nelly has actually uh, been wanting, wants me to come up for a few matches this fall. Oh yeah, yeah, maybe commentate a few. Oh maybe yeah. just get back on the yeah. scaffolding. Oh. But uh, <laughs> dude, that'd be pretty fun though. That's no, yeah. Old stomping grounds wouldn't wouldn't be too bad to visit. Yeah, definitely, dude. I that would be fun to go check out some of their matches for sure. Yeah, just... Especially their big ones. They uh they usually play their games against Lindenwood are pretty good. Uh our game against Arkansas State this past year was phenomenal. Mm. Even even though they were in losses there, they were still very good matches that I that I was very happy to be a part of. Huh. You know, it was it was great. Nice. Yeah, and speaking of Arkansas State, we're going to be having uh, Jake Mizell on Friday. So everybody needs to tune in and listen to that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great interview. Uh, had some laughs. Had some – took a trip back down memory lane between Jake and I. It was, it was, it was pretty great. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I have a joke. All right, Javi. So long as I'm basically taking over Mr. Gray's position during this, I want to ask you something funny. What do you got yeah. for me? I invented a new word. <laughs> what? Plagiarism. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that was a bad joke. That was pretty bad. Okay. okay. It's like one of those laffy taffy jokes. Yeah. Well, that's all it's giving me. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just look them up on the spot. Well, it's okay. I, I do that too. Prep. I do that too. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> Mr. No Prep over I here. Know, I know. All right. Well, on that note, we are out. Thanks again for joining us, and we will be back Friday. <laughs>